It's great to be with you and be able to be a part of this wonderful worship service today as we experience baptism and celebrate the Lord's Supper and think about what Palm Sunday means and then also what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross. So I am so glad to be with you. And for the last six weeks, what you all have been doing is is looking at the scripture um, from Easter, from Matthew's Gospel where Matthew talked about how when the stone was rolled away, there was an earthquake. And thinking about the earthquakes in all of our lives that we need to move past and we need to move through so that we can experience the new life that's offered to us through Jesus Christ. And so you've looked at things like the power that, that moved away that stone, that, that can lead us through the dark places of our lives, those, those hard and difficult places, into the light of new life. And you've thought about surprises, particularly the unexpected surprises that happen to us and, and how we sometimes need to, to move away and, and to take a look at them from a bit of a distance and to see how God, how God can bring good out of that which is difficult and hard for us. You've thought about those things that are are heavy, that weigh us down, that that make us weary and and, and make us tired, and how we're called to, to release those so that we might experience the light and the life that is in Jesus. You've thought about wounds and how when we're wounded, oftentimes there's a scar And how we're called to become wounded healers, to to allow those wounds to help us to help others, to take what we've experienced and offer empathy and offer love and care. And finally, last week, Andrea talked about how you might turn mourning and, and sadness into laughter as we don't focus on the past, as we're not fearful of the future, but as we live in the here and now as we experience all that life has to offer and and to look for the beautiful things here and now and know that God celebrates with us in all the goodness that we're a part of, in all the goodness that's all around us. And so as I've participated and listened to the messages over the past six weeks, that what I've taken away is that, that God meets us. God meets us in those unexpected, surprising heavy, painful, unhappy places in our lives. God meets us there, and and God wants to to give us new life, to give us a life that's healthier and and more whole and, and more fulfilled and more purposeful, that we might make a difference for God in this corner of God's world. So today what I want us to do is I want us to step back a week. A week before that Easter earthquake, 
And to, to think through and experience what Jesus experienced during those last days of his life that led up to the cross and the tomb and the resurrection. And as we do that, we begin this week with a day that we in the church commonly know as Palm Sunday. Um, It's an event that we find in all four of the Gospels, the the first four books in the New Testament that talk about the story of Jesus' life. And so this morning, I want you to hear it is from the Gospel of Luke. To hear how that Palm Sunday happened as Jesus came into Jerusalem. So as Jesus came to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. He said, go into the village over there, and when you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, its master needs it. Those who have been sent found it exactly as Jesus had said. And they were untying the coat. Its owner said to them, why are you untying the coat? And they replied, its master needs it. And they brought it to Jesus and threw their clothes on the colt and lifted Jesus onto it. And Jesus rode along and they spread their clothes on the road and also palm branches. And as Jesus approached the road, leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things that they had seen. And they said, blessed on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Now some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, scold your disciples, tell them to stop. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. Jesus scholars Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan paint a a beautiful image of of what happened that day as, as they see two different processions coming into Jerusalem to begin to celebrate the Passover, the, the um, celebration that the Jewish people had to celebrate how at the time of Moses, Moses was able to lead them out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And, and they celebrated Passover every year. And, and so as, as Borg and Crossan um, imagine it, from the West came a great and mighty procession with, with Pontius' gaudy glory and, and chariots and horses and, and Pilate dressed in full armor. He was moving into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover because he was worried. He was worried that every time there was, they celebrated Passover, there was, there was a kind of insurrection, a rebellious air about Jerusalem, and, and he wanted to make sure He and the Roman army wanted to make sure that that this wouldn't happen. So they come prancing in from the west. And then from the east comes an ordinary kind of procession. Jesus in a very ordinary robe, riding on a young donkey. The preparations had been made that we hear from Luke, that, that Jesus wanted the people to know that um, he was fulfilling the prophecy, the prophecy of Zechariah that we find in the Old Testament. And here's what Zechariah had told the people of Israel long ago, and Jesus is living into that 
as he comes into Jerusalem this day. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, as opposed to Pilate, who came in with that huge army, Jesus comes in as a new kind of king, the king of of peace who's going to dismantle the weapons of war. Now, I think if we were going to try to picture this um, scene in today's world, what, what we might imagine is, is a great and grand presidential motorcade from Washington to McAllen, Texas, to the border of, of the United States and of Mexico. As the president goes and, and through his power wants to prevent any of those mean people, the drug lords, the gang members, from entering into our country. And then from another direction, from Philadelphia to a small town called Summerfield, north of Greensboro, we think of this parade. A story of triumph in Guilford County, Johnny Van Kemp's cancer is gone. The 15-year-old beat it three times. Today, he returned home from treatment in Pennsylvania and got a hero's welcome home. And boy, was it an emotional one. Tasha, you were there, and it just I just imagine it was hard not to get emotional watching it all unfold. I mean, talk about overwhelming. It really was just incredible to see just how much support that this family is getting, and Johnny had no idea what was coming. A homecoming fitting for a hometown hero. Friends and family lined the street with signs and balloons to welcome back Johnny Van Kemp, Summerfield's Iron Man. The 15-year-old spent the last six weeks in Philadelphia undergoing treatment to hopefully keep cancer away for good. When he left, the whole Summerfield family, we felt a void in our heart. Johnny's not your average teenager. He's had to grow up fast. He's just a courageous young man, uh, just full of joy and full of life. It's one thing to beat cancer once, but Johnny's done it now three times in seven years. This man is 3-0 and oh now. <laughs> he is a fighter. He is the strongest person I've ever met. To celebrate a successful treatment, friends and family surprised Johnny. I was just expecting to arrive home and just unpack on a normal day and I just turned the corner and I saw all my friends and I was just overwhelmed. Faith, family and friends. We were all fighting this battle together. I just love them so much. Johnny says that's how he made it through. It's because of them that I'm still here today. And if it takes a village to raise a child, boy does this family have a good one. Our village showed up today. We felt our village from afar and here they are again. Wow. God, we love you all. Community's just been such a huge support. We're here for a miracle, and our, our man of Summerfield is here to, to share the great news. After a wild seven years, the Van Kemp's are hoping to keep things uneventful. I just hope to lead a normal life and just go back to school, play sports, and hang out with friends. Johnny told me he wants to study to become an oncologist so he can help other kids going through cancer just like his doctors did for him.
And so now the one who is healed wants to become the healer. And friends, as we think about both of these processions this day, either back in Jesus' time or even in our world today, what we find is is a clash of kingdoms. We have Pilate's kingdom and and Jesus' kingdom. We have Caesar and thinking of all of Rome and and Jesus' kingdom of peace. You see, Caesar's Caesar's kingdom is, is one of domination and one of power. It's it's a kingdom that Jesus turned down early in his ministry when he was taken up to a high hill and tempted. Tempted by being shown all the kingdoms of the world up on that mountain and being told, you can have these, the devil said, you can have these if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus replies in this way, it is written, you will worship the Lord your God only and serve only him. So in contrast to Caesar's kingdom, which is ruled by power and by might, Jesus comes to proclaim the kingdom of God, which is is characterized by justice and mercy and love. You know what's interesting to me is, is that's how Jesus built up his followers. As people heard and witnessed to him healing those who were sick, to helping people walk who hadn't been able to walk before, as they watched Jesus cast out demons, as they watched Jesus feed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, they began to follow him. They followed him because Jesus not only spoke to, but, but he hung out with the least and the last and the lost. He helped them to know their value, their purpose, their worth. You see, all throughout his ministry, Jesus has been trying to to paint a picture of a different kind of kingdom, the kind of kingdom that happens when when the first um, become last and the last become first, when those who are greatest among you must be your servant. He's painting a picture of a kingdom in which the bonds that that tie us and hold us are, are broken free in which they're allowed to to give us space and to give us hope and and to give us life, a a realm of love. It's not some great procession with a a gallant horse and a person dressed in army coming in to take over the world. Rather, Jesus wants to come in a different way. And so he rides a borrowed donkey into Jerusalem. And yet as the crowds welcomed him into Jerusalem... They put their cloaks in front of him, and they they cut down palm branches and put those in front of him. We might call that rolling out the red carpet for him today. And they took palm branches, and they waved them. Those those palm branches were used in in ceremonies that when they wanted to welcome a king or or a warrior, it it was a sign of victory. And what we find here in this scene is that is that the people, even though Jesus has painted this other picture... The people thought that they had to have a warrior. They wanted somebody to come in and and take on Pilate and take over Jerusalem and and get their country back for them. They wanted him to do it by power and by might. And so it's no wonder. It's no wonder when he didn't fulfill their expectations that their shouts of Hosanna, which meant, Lord, save us, quickly later in the week turned into shouts of crucify him, kill him. 
as we begin this week that we call Holy Week, these last weeks of, of these last days of Jesus' life, as we mar- walk from that palm parade to the empty tomb, I think what God wants to t- tell us is that the kingdom of God that we want to be a part of isn't where we take it by power and by might so that we make sure that we get our own way. But rather, the kingdom that God wants to be a part of comes from stepping out of the way. It comes from letting go. It comes from dropping the things that bind us and from turning our woundedness into a a healing for others. It comes as we allow God to turn our mourning into laughter. The kingdom of God that God wants us to be a part of comes as as we give up a, a day at the week, a day at the lake, maybe once every two weeks to help at the food truck. Or when we give up a cup of coffee at Starbucks and, and use that money to buy school supplies for the back-to-school bash. The kingdom that God wants us to be a part of is, is when you stuff over 8,000 eggs for a glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt. Or when you bring food for Third Creek Elementary and their backpack program. You see, the kingdom that God wants to, us to be a part of is, is a journey. It's a journey of becoming the people that God wants us to be as we follow Jesus, the one who loved us, that we might love one another. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we give you thanks for the witness of Jesus. And we confess that we too often want that military leader who's going to take things by power and by might. Help us this week to embrace the kingdom that Christ wanted us to see, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of mercy. And may all that we do, may all that we say, help to bring that kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So I want you to join with me for just a minute and say something. It may come across literally when I initially say it, but it has a bigger meaning. I want you to say, I am going to own my stuff. Ready? I am going to own my stuff. That did not sound nearly as adamant as I would like for it to sound this morning. So we're going to own our stuff. And I don't mean like physical stuff, like our houses, our clothes, our jewelry, and our cars, and whatever play toys are our guilty pleasure. I'm talking about the stuff that gets in the way of us experiencing the beauty and the majesty and the amazing love that comes to us through Jesus Christ who after all the things that Amy talked about then, he went and he sacrificially and selflessly gave his life on the cross. We talk about you know, him, him pouring out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and we're going to explore for just a brief minute this morning what that really means. And it, it, it ties back to us in that we have to own our stuff. 
Now, if you have colorful language, there's another word that you can use for stuff. I will not use it this morning here, but personally, in my own personal life, sometimes, when I'm wrong, sometimes, and please don't send me emails or the next time you and I are in an altercation, say, well, you said on Palm Sunday that you never like to be wrong. And so, you know, don't throw that back in my face. That won't go well, actually. But uh, I don't like to be wrong. Do you? We don't. We want to be be right. We want to have the answers. We want to have it all figured out. But guess what? We are so human, and we need to own our stuff. That's actually the beauty of the message of the cross. Jesus shows us what it means to own our stuff, but he he didn't have any stuff to own. So we owned ours. The cross brought it all together, actually. There was an ancient Hebrew ritual that would happen on the Day of Atonement. The priest would get an escaping goat. And it's where we get the term scapegoat. The priest would get an escaping goat and would take his hands and put his hands on the goat. And then it was representative of him collecting all the sins of all the Jewish people. And then what they would do is he'd put his hands on the goat. And then the goat would be beaten with reeds and thorns until it left the area. The goat would leave bleeding. It would be a uniting ritual and practice for the people. And for just a short while, they would experience freedom. Freedom from their stuff. Freedom from their sin. Freedom from their their greed and their anger and their fear. Freedom from all the things that were getting in the way of them experiencing perfect and divine holy love. This morning, as we close our worship service together, I want you to hear these words from the Gospel of John. John came before Jesus, and he was preparing the way. The very next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he yelled out, Here he is, God's Passover lamb. He forgives the sins of the world. This is the man that I've been talking about, the one who comes after me, but he's really ahead of me. I knew nothing about who he was, only this, that my task has been to get Israel ready to recognize him as the God revealer. That's why I came here baptizing with water, giving you a good bath and scrubbing sins from your life so you can get a fresh start with God. This morning, as we leave and as we prepare to enter into the darkness of Good Friday, what I would invite us to do, you got a piece of paper, hopefully, when you walked into worship today, I want you to own your stuff. Because this morning, we do remember and honor that there was an ultimate scapegoat. And he showed us how to own our stuff with words of hope and healing and forgiveness and grace that he uttered while he was there in that very place on that cross, bleeding, gasping for air, bleeding to death. He didn't get angry. He just offered grace. That same grace is here for you and me today. In order to receive that grace, we all have to own our stuff.
I invite you to come up. There are crosses on either side of the stage, and there are nails. On your piece of paper, as the worship team sings, I invite you to write down some of your stuff that you need to own. At the end of this week, I personally will take those things, so don't write your name on them, but I'll take them, I'll pray over them. And then before we gather together on Sunday morning, I'll burn them. And the next time we come into this sacred and holy place, we won't have to own our stuff. Because the ultimate one already has. I invite you to come to the cross. So as they continue to nail their nails in the cross, I invite you to prepare to go into Holy Week. And celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion on Thursday night as Jesus would have with his friends and then on Friday. May we leave hearing the nails go in the cross. Go in peace.